0: Alright, let's get after the Bible. Acts chapter 13 is where we'll be. Uh, There'll be one in front of you. If you don't have one, you're welcome to put open to it with us. Acts chapter 13. Uh, We'll take a quick break from Hebrews. Uh, We're a little over halfway through with Hebrews, Um, so it's been a good time. We'll take a quick break to look at Acts 13 uh, for just a second here this weekend. Um, This week, uh, I was at HBU and I had a conversation with an older woman that I met up there. Uh, and it was kind of a, a new experience for me. Now typically over the past few years when I have talked to someone about FCQ um, and kind of mentioned if they live over here and mentioned I pastor this church, the reaction I get almost consistently historically has been there's a church there. There, no, I don't, and I'm like, no, I promise you. I mean, I work there. There's a church there. Uh, typically, the building gets kind of ignored, or it's like a, maybe a small <laughs> building of the honor roll academy right down the road from us. And actually, I mean, somebody's they'll deliver packages to that building, thinking surely that's the main building. Um, it'll get over here eventually. Um, but th- this week, something different happened. It was the first time it's ever happened. I met an older woman, and she was. Uh, she told me she was from Sugarland, and so I was like, oh, we're in Sugarland, and she goes, the Sweetwater area. And I actually passed her a church uh, in. In Sweetwater, right across, right off Sweetwater, right across from Clements High School. Uh, and normally I get kind of uh, some guesses or whatnot. Or again, there's not a church there. But she said this, and I quote: "Oh, y'all are the the FC FC cubed with the blue, the FC3 FC cubed." And I was like, yes, that is us! And I've never been more proud in my life. It was like seeing a little kid like do something accomplished. I'm like, "That oh, we're a church. You saw the signs. Hey, we're good to go. Um, and so it's kind of like a, a turning point. And people know we exist now. It's a good thing. Um, it was like a year and a half ago, maybe two years, that we came up with a little FC cube and, and started printing it on things. And uh, it got me just thinking about all the different changes we've made uh, throughout the time here. This church is a an older church that's so been around for, for many, many years, and it's been through good times and bad times and all different things, and the group that we have now is, is often, uh, is major- the majority of it is, is much different. Um, we weren't here a few years ago, uh, much less five years, ten years ago, um, and so I, what I want to do this morning is take a break and uh, focus ourselves on why we're here and, and where we want to go as a church. Uh, so normally, once a year, we'll have a state of FC cube that we'll do around budget time, uh, and we want to do a mid-year one uh, this Sunday uh, and just kind of get together as a church and get in a direction together as a church. I think that we are at a very crucial time in our church's life. I think that we are at a point where we have a decision to make, uh, whether we know it or not. Uh, and the decision is between maintaining which typically leads to decline, um, but maintaining or expanding or growing or moving into the future. That's the decision we face here. Um, as your pastor, uh, looking at our mission statement, so we should know this, making disciple, making disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, Looking at that, looking at the way we operate here, I do not think, if we could all look at me, I do not think we're fully realizing that mission right now. The way we're operating, what we're doing, I don't think we're fully realizing that. I think there's two parts to that, and and we'll get into this a little bit this morning. Um, There's one, being disciples and growing. Um, maturing our relationship with God um, growing our obedience, our faithfulness, those kind of things and then there's this other multiplication aspect though of it, disciples who make disciples, um, and so I think we're doing the first very well, I think we are um, but I think we could be multiplying better, uh, and so we'll, we'll working through some of this from Acts, and, and I think this is very important to us because we're at a decision the decision is to be content with good things, so just like in Hebrews the comparison is almost never between bad and good it's between good and better it's been good and better, and so we're at a point in our church where I want us to get together and kind of look to the future and, and start off in a direction. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, we'll be in Acts 13, uh, but I want to start us out by asking the question and going through um, who we are. Like, why do we exist? Why, why is there FCQ with blue signs, and why is there a building here, and why do we get together and, and worship, and why do I open up the scriptures and yell at you every week? Um, like, why do all these things happen? What, and, and so it, it comes back to a few base beliefs about God and about the world. And so I want to cover those, because um, I, I honestly I don't think we can cover them too many times. The first one is that we believe that God is on a mission. As Christians who read the Scriptures, we believe that God is on a mission. That He has, from a long time ago, put Himself on a course with a plan, with a goal, with an end. He has a fallen creation, because of their sin, fallen away from Him. And He has said, He has resolutely set out to save and to redeem and to reconcile, to heal what's sick, to fix what's broken, to find what is lost. God is on a mission. This is very key to our understanding. Um, mission is something we usually think about as overseas and something that kind of the church has given them to do. But we need to realize mission is a key characteristic of God Himself. God is missional. He is on a mission. The fact that we find mission or that we do mission things simply reflects who our God is. And so he's done this in many different ways throughout history. He's um, formed the Israelites, brought them out of slavery in the Exodus. He's given them the law. He's given them the prophets, the kings, the judges. And then, of course, um, the most full way that he's proven his mission is through the sending of his Son. Father sends the Son, Jesus, um, God in the flesh, who comes to fulfill all of his promises. Who comes to enact the promise of salvation and redemption and healing and wholeness that God had given his creation. And so he, he dies on a cross. He offers forgiveness. He defeats sin and death and evil. God is on a mission. And we, you and I, have found ourselves a part of that mission. He's found us and saved us. This is where we come into the equation. So Ephesians 2 would we'll say that you and I were dead in our sins. Trapped in, in ways of death. Objects of wrath. By nature. That's just how we operated. We were in a sinful domain. We were consumed with ourselves. We were consumed with actions and attitudes that only lead to death. So we're there. We're dead in our sin. And Christ makes us alive. He finds us. He saves us. We don't work our way out of that. So Romans 5 will be real clear about this. While you were dead in your sin... Christ died for you and saved you. He finds us at our darkest, in our sin, and says, I died for you, I'm on a mission, you're in. You're forgiven, you're loved, you're mine. And so this happens for us in this room right now, it's happened in lots of different ways. Some of us have grown up at the church, kind of always been familiar with it. Some of us grew up and then dropped out and then have come back. Some of us just had friends. I mean, it happens in all kinds of different ways, but Jesus, on God's mission, comes and saves and redeems and finds us and then that's how you get this thing that we call the church. And so all over the world people who have been found in God's plan and his mission organize themselves and they call themselves a church. They call themselves this, this local expression of a global reality. God's people all over the world come together in local communities and contexts and call themselves the church. And so I want to establish here's a few things on um, the FC cube as a church it's not, before we do that, one last big point, Um, we are commissioned into the same ministry that God has had. We are commissioned into the same ministry that God has had. So the scriptures are very clear about this, and this is often an overlooked one in church, one that we've tried not to overlook at any cost here. Um, But so John, in John 17, Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. In Matthew 28, Jesus comes to the disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them teaching them. Second Corinthians 5 says the, the plan of God, the mission of God is two stages. One, He saves a group of people, and then He uses those people throughout time and history. He invites them into the ministry of reconciliation, Second Corinthians 5. The trips are clear. There's no out here. So we've said um, before when we did our discipleship kind of series, conversion is commission. By joining the team, you now have a job. That's something the church sometimes overlooks. We like to, to stop at point two here. He's found us, He saved us, so let's kind of wait out our 45 years. The scriptures are very clear that's not, that this is nowhere to be found in a Christian's life. As Father sent Jesus, so now He sends us out into the world. We're commissioned into the same ministry. And again, you get these churches who come together being found by Him and on His mission. So, FC Cube, as one local expression of this, um, is not a few things. One, we're not a building. Um, so this was a big problem for pastors and, and theologians a, a, a while back not so much for us but, but us, FCQ, has nothing to do with these walls or the carpet or anything like that it has nothing to do with it it could all disappear today and FCQ would still exist it's not a building it's not a leadership team it's not a group of staff members it's not lay leadership it's none of those things those things are a part of it but that's not what it is it's not what a church is so we can say this if, if I can get everyone to look at me Mike Skinner is not FCQ not I mean not even really a big part I mean just a small part to an organism a body that's working together there's, there's no leader FCQ is not a leadership team we can say this as well it's not a group of programs So we're not a charity we're not a bible study program we're not any of those things we're not even a weekly service Sunday service is not church. It's a part of what the church does. But but sometimes we confuse a church with kind of like a weekly variety show, right? Where we come and, and we have this service and we kind of participate. And this is again one of the reasons why some have found it easy to be spectators in church. Because we, we limit it to just a program on Sunday morning that we just watch and experience. That's not what the church is, not the scriptures. The church is a community of believers scriptures are very clear. The church is people. You and I are the church. Not buildings, not staff members, not programs or services. People are the church. You and I are the church. A community of people. People who come together and say, we're going to live life together. We're going to have relationships together and pursue God and pursue His mission together. A community of believers who worship and grow together. So we come in, we pray, and we sing songs together. We pool our resources together for missions. We do baptisms. We take communion together. <coughs> we, we try to help each other grow in faithfulness and obedience. Figure out what it means to worship Christ fully. Figure out what it means to obey Him and follow Him and all the different um, difficult areas that sometimes there can be in a life of following Christ. I'm trying to, trying to be faithful to Him. And then we, we fervently make disciples. That's what the church, the church not only worships, but has a mission. Um, You might want to write this down in in the notes to the side. It's not in your guide there. Um, But it's been said that the church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. The church does not have a mission. The mission has a church. The idea here is that, I mean, you and I just don't have this, goal that we came up with. Instead, there is a cosmic goal set out by God himself and we have been privileged to be one small part of that plan. Where Jesus comes, dies on a cross, and then gets some group of followers together and says, now you go. I'll be with you always. I'll give my spirit to you. And so we make disciples. Disciples who make disciples, who multiply, who go spread the gospel. So, as a church, again, I think we're growing and, and having community and, and worshiping together well. There are always ways you can do everything better. Um, but I think we, we need to, to focus on and move towards whatever that would look like this multiplication aspect. This has been our, our goal since the beginning. We've been very public about this. Um, no one's looking to build the mega church. I don't want the mega church. Um, but we've said from the beginning we want the building full. We bought the chairs saying the chairs are going to be full. We look around in Sugar Lane and in the greater Houston area and say there's lots of people who don't go to church. Whether they have some familiarity with it, whether they have a history with it or whatnot. There are lots of people who don't have an active relationship with Christ. And we're here not just to have fun together, but to make a difference in the world. And so I think we're at an interesting point in our church's life. And again, the, the decision is between being okay with being good, with being content, with what we're doing, we're saying, let's do more. Let's push. And here's the problem with that. Doing more often involves risk and hard work and different things like that. It's always easier to maintain. It's always easier to maintain. So what I wanted to do um, this morning is look at an early church who was faithful and actually was used powerfully by God and kind of see if we can get some lessons from them, get some cues from them about how to seek God, how to seek His will, and how to move forward as a church. So we'll be in Acts chapter 13 um, verse 1 here. Acts 13, verse 1. Uh, just a few verses. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While, verse 2, they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, this moment here in Acts, these three verses—it's um, hard to overestimate the importance of what just happened here. Um, really, the, the the story, these moments here, set in motion a missions movement that would change the world. It was the catalyst. It's set in motion, set in gear, in action. Something that would transform the entire world to this day. And so reading through Acts, um, which is breathtaking, uh, as a follower of Christ, seeing how this thing started, um, it's, it's tempting to kind of maybe skip over Acts 13. There's some more action before it, there's some more action after it. But right here, something huge happens. So there's this church in Antioch. Um, at this time, very early on, after Jesus died and ascended, Um, there were really at this point two big main churches, Christian churches, two big centers of the church, Jerusalem and then Antioch here. Jerusalem was the center of the church. Historically, the center of God's people. I mean, it's Jerusalem. They had a big church there. What we find out in Acts 11 is that there was some persecution and so the believers got scattered. Well, some of these believers came to Antioch and started preaching and converting people and they started a church. And it was a, a... pretty good church a lot of people were coming to know the lord they had a good community working up there so the church in jerusalem try to follow me here the church in jerusalem sent over one of their best leaders to help the church in antioch his name was barnabas he's from the church in jerusalem they sent him over in acts 11 to be at antioch to help them to live with them now barnabas is not actually his name uh it's a title it means son of encouragement that's what they call him So he, I mean, he's a pretty solid guy. That'd be like if y'all referred to me as the good preacher. Um, It'd just be awesome. That's his title, son of encouragement. The church is recognized from the beginning. He's got a gift. He's got a skill. Then the Jerusalem church says, hey, there's a great church happening in Antioch. Let's go support it. Have Barnabas. Now, if you remember, this guy named Saul, a murderer of the Christians, gets converted. Has a revelation from Jesus. And someone goes and kind of helps him along the way. His name was Barnabas. Barnabas then takes him back to Antioch. Says, hey, come, come come, to my church. Come to my home church in Antioch. Come live by for this year. So you got a church in Antioch with Saul and Barnabas and other prophets and teachers. And it's a good, powerful center of the Christian world. I mean, it's a, a strong, solid church. In fact, we'll find out in Acts 11, there was a famine uh, around Jerusalem, and the church in Antioch actually sent over relief to the church in Jerusalem. So the big church was relying on them for help. I mean, they were a strong, solid church. And here in Acts 13, they commit themselves, apparently, to a time of praying and fasting, (coughs) to a time of saying, what is next, God? What do you want us to do next? They're worshiping Him, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to them and says, set aside Barnabas and Saul, it would be Paul, for what I want them to do. Let go of them. They lay their hands on him and they let go. And this moment changes history because what happens here is out of this call, out of this service in Antioch where they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas, you have what we call the three missionary journeys of Paul. Where he goes all over the world and spreads the gospel. In a way that would shift everything. To this day, most of our New Testament were written as a result of his activity from this church. So this church says, "Go, follow the Spirit. We're setting you apart to do His work." He goes on this first journey here right after Acts 13, and he, he stays in cities real quick. And he starts up a church and then leaves. He starts up a church and then leaves, and, and hits a lot at one time. And on the way back, he comes and, and visits those churches again because he finds out. That staying at a church for a few weeks or a month or two, it's hard to build leadership up. And so he would leave, find out there are all these problems, and then have to come back and try to clean up the messes. On his second and third journeys, it's kind of a, a word that doesn't make sense because they weren't necessarily journeys as we would think of them. He would stay there for a year, a year and a half, two years, because he realized as a leader evolves, he realized, I need to train up leaders here. I need to train up leaders so they'll be better protected when I have to leave them and go on to the next city. This was the first overseas mission that we know of in Acts 13. So it's safe to say that God was pleased by this church praying and fasting and worshiping Him and then obeying His call. And then, I mean, they had no clue what was going to come, but they sent Paul and Barnabas off and and the world was changed forever. So I want to, out of just these three verses, look at, uh, highlight five lessons that we can learn um, from the church in Antioch that might help us as we look into the future. The first one is this. True worship births extreme mission. True worship births extreme mission. So this church in Antioch, they're worshiping um, the Lord. They're worshiping Christ. They're worshiping God. Uh, They have experienced His salvation, His joy. They're praising Him. And then what happens because of that is they go out and tell others about it. Both in Antioch and in the surrounding area. They're looking on how they can share. So they receive the good news Then they see people around them who don't have that good news and they go and share it with them. This is how worship works. Like just at a very basic human level, this is how worship works. When you enjoy something and you praise it, your immediate reaction is to share it with somebody. So, confession time, don't judge me, okay? Y'all are like, no promises. This is not, okay, we'll skip that example. No, I watch one reality TV show a year, okay? One a year. Um, and it's, it comes on in the summer, and it's called Big Brother. Uh, and there are certain people, I've watched it every year since it's been, it's the only thing I, it's, it's my thing. There are certain people close to me who a little bit question my salvation because I watch the show. Um, <laughs> so I already feel it rising in me to like defend it and argue for it, and I'm not going to do that. But just say, Big Brother's about to start. I enjoy the show. Um, and I get, no, we're not going to get it. I enjoy the show. We can talk about it later. But I enjoy the show, and so what have I been doing the past couple of weeks when I see people? Hey, Big Brother's about to start. The NBA got locked out. Oh, that's a bummer. But hey, guess what's about to start? <laughs> NFL, who knows? Gonna, okay. Yeah, Big Brother. This is... When we see a movie we like, what do we t- talk about to the next two or three people we see? Yeah, I just saw this movie was really good. You should probably go see it. This is, how, this is how worship just works at a basic level. You enjoy something, and then you go share it. Where, so we can say this, that, that maybe... If there is no mission, there is no sharing, there was not true worship. Like maybe something got off there. Maybe something not fully there. This is the idea of a Christian community, a Christian life. We receive Christ, we receive the Spirit, we receive all of His blessings, and then it overflows out of us into the people around us. And so this church in Antioch not only had this worship, the birth mission, but it was an extreme mission. They were willing to risk things for it, as we'll see they were willing to, to to say whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. They're willing to take risks and to step out of their comfort zone to see what was the best way that we could reach the people around us. So true worship births extreme mission. The second thing we can see here is that Jesus' church is not called to maintain, but to expand. Not called to maintain, but to expand. So once again, this church in Antioch is a solid church. They're a solid church who are doing great things. We'll step up from good. They're doing great things. And notice here, they've got the all-star leadership. They've got (laughs) Saul, Barnabas, these prophets and teachers. They are like the biggest church next to Jerusalem. They're helping out the church in Jerusalem. I mean, they're doing okay. So this is not... So they, they sit down and they say, let's pray and fast and seek direction from God. And it's not because they're about to die. And it's not because they have no clue what to do. And it's not because they're not pleased with what's happening right now. It's because they want more and more and more and more. They're not content to maintain. They're, they're not worried about surviving. They say, hey, we've, we've gotten here. We're growing in Antioch. What else do we do? How else do we impact the world? Where can we join God in His mission? This is a, a church that, even in good times, is, is taking radical measures to say, what, what else? What else do you want us to do? Where else can we step out and see God work powerfully? Here's the dangerous thing about church is that sometimes good things can be the biggest hindrances to better things. Like sometimes things that work good in the past or even work good now actually hinder the church because there are better things that would do better things. The church is always called to explore and experiment. One of my favorite quotes is that the church of Jesus Christ should be surprising, playful, we should be constantly thinking out of the box. How do we best do things? Instead of being content, saying, what's, what's next? How can we shift this? How can we change this? How can we do more and bigger and better and reach more people? So again, when I use terminology like this, don't think the megachurch. We're not looking for the megachurch. No. No, thank you. We're looking for influence, people, lives, families, communities affected. <clears throat> Church in Antioch teaches us it's not okay to maintain. Jesus' church expands and risks and moves out. next thing we can see is that we need to follow the Spirit's guidance. So they weren't content with holding a creative meeting and kind of just pooling their their minds together and saying, what is our kind of way? How how should we do this? They say, no, just tell us. We're not going to do anything until you tell us what to do. They followed the Spirit's guidance. They knew that they were dependent on Him more than they thought they were. It was like you and I are. We can have all these plans, James says, and, and we don't know if we wake up tomorrow. So we, I mean, again, we went over this in our discipleship series. If we were given the task to change the world for whatever cause, we would probably try to do it a lot like most churches are trying to do it, which is build big buildings, um, form celebrity-type people, have big productions um, all of those type of things and, and it, it's not working um, really the church in the west if, if you pay attention to these kind of things is diving downward I mean as fast as possible um, but Jesus in the gospels he comes the ultimate task to change the world and he does what for three years he hangs around with twelve disciples and at the end of those three years he has very little more than those twelve disciples And in John 17 before the cross he says I'm done I did what I wanted to do I'm ready. I'm ready to leave. So these guys are going to go carry on my mission. So God's ways don't always look like our ways. And they knew that. They said, what would you have us do? We need your guidance. We need your guidance. Here at, at FCQ, we are in a similar position. And so I, I joke around. Um, I'm 23 years old. I have no clue what I'm doing. No clue at all. Not even not even an inch. Like Not even a, a small little... Um, and it's just funny this week, like, every, the whole church world knows that there are certain days that you don't do anything important in church on. Um, and so, like, that's the big joke, no offense, Brad, that you get the youth pastor to preach. So they say something offensive, then not enough people will be there to get upset about it. Things like that. not calling you out and saying that's the general, you got Christmas, all yours. Uh, and, again, the whole church world knows that July 4th weekend is the biggest one. And it just dawned on me this week that I was like, everyone come, everyone come, everyone come. We're going to do a big thing. We're going to do a big thing. Oh, it's July 4th weekend. And she's like, oh, I don't even know. What are we doing here? Uh, we need the Spirit's guidance. More than we need just our good ideas or books or whatever it is, we need the Spirit to say, this is what I want you to do. This is where you're going to see fruit. Um, so we need to think of mission. Again, uh, understanding that God is a God on mission as really nothing more than opening up our eyes to where He's already working. So, when we see Sugarland, or when you meet somebody, or even if you go across seas to a new community, a new village, whatever it is, um, we don't enter into something that's morally neutral, where we have to infiltrate the gospel. We enter into a person, we we enter into a place, we meet a person, these kind of things, who God's been working on for years and years and years and years, who God has a plan for. For That person and that community is part of His mission. He's well thought out. Our job is not to create something artificial. Our job is to look, see, where where is he working? What's he doing there? What kind of questions he's putting in their heart? How can we come alongside and participate? And so we ask the Spirit, show us where to go, what to do. Where are you moving that we can get on board with it? Because the Spirit doesn't get on board with our plans. We get on board with His. We, We need the Spirit's guidance. We see that the Spirit speaks through... Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So the church sets aside the time, leadership, it seems, first in chapter 2, and then the whole church as well in, chapter, in verse 3, um, to, to fast and to pray, which are both signs of dependence on God. saying, like we need you, we need your vision, we need you to speak to us. Fasting is a really inter- interesting practice where um, Christians, and even, I mean, it's universal, um, but people will stop eating for a while. Uh, to, to try to achieve some kind of experience or vision or, or whatever it might be. Um, and so God's people have been doing this for a long time. And it's all throughout the scriptures, this practice of fasting. Uh, so in Second Chronicles 20, um, there's an a enemy army about to invade God's people. The king calls a nationwide fast. And God turns the army away. Nehemiah, when he's doing his important work, fast. Daniel goes on a fast up through the New Testament. Jesus himself fasted before his ministry. Jesus, it seems in his teachings, expected his disciples to fast after he left. The church in Acts is fasting and praying. Churches throughout history, 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, up till today, fast and pray. And the idea here is to say to God and to the world around us, we need you. So food is, is one of the most from my understanding, I'm not great at biology, but food is one of the more basic building blocks of life. Um, and and fasting is saying, more than we need food, we need you. More than more than we need to eat, we need we need you. We need you. You guide us, you tell us what to do. It's this act of dependence on the spirit. Throughout church, throughout history, churches have done this, God's people have done this individually and corporately and and Revival has been seen. God has spoken. God has moved. Um, The last thing we see here is that God's people put everything on the table. Put everything on the table. So notice um, in Antioch, this church, what happened here is they basically said, after not eating, they basically said, let's give away our bus leaders. So in any organization or group, there are certain people that the majority wouldn't be so sad to see leave. Because maybe I mean they just get on without them, or I mean maybe it's even like welcome news. In that same organization or group, there are certain people who the majority, again, would be sad to see leave. Would say, What are we gonna do? Who's gonna do what they did? What's gonna happen now? Well, Saul and Barnabas are the second type of person. They're the leaders. They're two of the more charismatic men in the early church. These are two men who the next Sunday after they leave the church is going, What do we do? What, what's next like what do we they have to almost reshape their whole identity but the spirit says give them and they say okay they put it basically they come to God and they say here's a blank check write something it's yours they risk it all for God One of the things that'll frustrate me uh, here at the church not a lot um, but one of the things will is if I hear or kind of get wind of, a type of attitude that would say, like, if Mike left, um, we'd be kind of up a creek without a paddle. First of all, let me say just real clearly, I'm not leaving. I'm not resigning. Um, I just reorganized my office, which means I'm here for, like, two more years. I, <laughs> so, so I really enjoy the whole arrangement right now. Um, so I'm not leaving, but here's the thing. Again, FCQ is not Mike Skinner, and if you'll remember how Mike Skinner this 23 year old became your pastor is because um, again some of us weren't here uh, a while ago a few years ago a pastor left there was no one around we looked around what were we going to do and this kid just started preaching and he ended up becoming the pastor so it's not like I mean God doesn't have a history in our community of doing things like that that's what's happening here in the church in Antioch I could leave tomorrow and I think the church would be okay who knows who would step up in fact I'm calling it Stephen Flolin he's got it after I do, he's not here, but I hope he's listening to the podcast because uh, he needs to start sketching out sermon ideas in series. Um, I mean, who knows? That's the, who knows what would happen? The, the kingdom of God is not dependent on a person, not even dependent on a church. So here's the thing: uh, the man side of me, like the ego, I build it businessman side of me, wants FC Cube to succeed and wants FC Cube to be self-sustaining and wants FC Cube to continue after I'm gone, whether I leave or I die or however it happens. But the the scripture side of me says, we could die tomorrow. It wouldn't do a dent on the gospel in Sugarland. It wouldn't, it wouldn't affect it at all. What would affect it is if we all defected and left the faith, FC Cube the name, the building, it all goes tomorrow. What did we lose? I mean, what in the end, the gospel goes forward. That's on a mission. He's working in Sugarland. We're a part of that. But our, our name and our building, that I mean, that doesn't mean anything to that. So God's people historically have said, here's everything. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? Tell us what to do. We'll do it. It's all on the table for you. It's all on the table for you. So here's what I want us to do um, as kind of a, a direction to go to in the future. I want to call the church to five weeks of corporate prayer and fasting this is the first time in my two and a half years that I have called us to fast together uh, and for that, I apologize. And I sincerely do and I apologize for that. Um, so there's a part of me that was nervous a little bit today, like I'm going to ask people not to eat. Um, there's another part of me that heard something in Kenya about Americans who fast, uh, which is not nice. I won't repeat it uh, to you guys. Um, but we're, we're going to try to take a cue from the church in Antioch here. And so here's the idea. We're going to, for five weeks, um, once a week, a 24-hour fast a week, um, pray and fast and seek Christ and say, what do you want us to do? And the individual, and our families, and then as a church together, uh, what do you want? Speak to us. We need you. We're dependent on you. So in your worship guide, there should have been a, another little card there for you that has a little bit of details to help you out here. Um, the idea, how we've set it up, Uh, It's to be a fast 24 hours from Monday after dinner, whenever that is for you, up to dinner on Tuesday uh, evening, which means we'd miss breakfast and lunch on Tuesday. Um, The idea would be it's a water and juice fast, so no food. Um, Now obviously there are people who can't do this medically, and and we understand that. Um, uh, Don't be dangerous or uh, foolish about trying to do this or doing this. Um, I would say this to those of us who maybe aren't sure if it's medically okay for us to do it, or maybe feel like we might just be looking for an excuse, I would challenge you maybe uh, ask your doctor. I mean, if you really think that that's an excuse, um, how do your doctor tell you. Yeah, it's probably not a good idea. Um, if, if you don't decide to do this, and again, maybe you just don't because you don't care, maybe you don't for other reasons, uh, you can substitute it with something that is important to you, um, something that hopefully is close to food and importance to you. Um, A few of us, myself included, will be fasting from a few things all month, um, but once a week we want to fast from food. Uh, And then every week we're going to have some some goals and some things to think about and meditate on uh, as we pray and fast. This week, you can see on the card here, it's thanksgiving and gratefulness. Um, There's some scriptures here about salvation and grace given to us. We want to just thank God. We want to think about how he's worked in our life. Thank him for that. Think about how he's used Cube, Thank him for that. Ask him to keep doing all those things in the future. Um, This would be a great thing. Uh, to talk about with your family, um, the idea here for the breaking the fast on Tuesday night um, is one we get to sleep through a good portion of the fast, um, and then two, hopefully we, we break the fast on uh, Tuesday night as a family with friends. We break the fast. We we get to come together and say let's eat, and let's rejoice, and let's talk about what God has, has been teaching us, been showing us. So this is this is the plan for us going forward through the month of July, um, and then what we're doing this for again is to ask God to reveal the next steps uh, for our church. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this, <clears throat> just up front. I have no real agenda in this. Uh, I have no things to do or to change or to go or anywhere like that. Um, again, this is, this is us coming saying, you tell us. Tell us what to do next. Uh, show us what to do. And so the idea would be toward the end of July, early August through August, a small team would get together, uh, and the goal of this team uh, that I would lead would be to go through our mission statement, to go through our core values, to go through our leadership structure, to go through our budget, to go through our programs, everything that operates here, uh, and, and evaluate it, and ask these questions. Uh, I mean, are we? Is this good? Is there a better way to do this? Um, what do we feel God's leading us to do here? Um, does this meet and enable us to, to meet our mission, our mission statement? All those kind of questions. And uh, we'll have some. Um, kind of church gatherings and we'll do another service about it and talk about kind of what we're thinking and where we're going. Um, so again, what we're saying, just like the church, everything's on the table. So there's some non-negotiables here. Um, I mean, we're not going to stop preaching the gospel. We're not going to start uh, doing communion, um, worshiping together, those types of things. But but other things are up to God. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to focus? Things like that. So we're going to spend a few weeks praying and fasting and seeking Him. Um, the idea, again, is to, with intense focus and energy go to god and say we need you we want you speak to us and and i I truly believe that not only will this be a powerful time in our church's life but it'll be a powerful time in your family's life uh, and in your life as you do this so again i mean medical exceptions um we have some pregnant women probably not a good idea um i would suggest not making your kids do this um i think that's step one of growing a bitter child uh is to force them to fast uh when they're small Um, But there's all kinds of great opportunities for discussion here uh, and all kinds of things like that. Um, So that's what we'll be doing. And and so uh, I'm asking you to join with me in this as we uh, go before God for our church and and just for ourselves um, as believers in this time and this place together. So I'll close with this. Uh, In Acts 14, if you still have your Bible up and you can flip there, if not, you can just listen. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, they get back from their first kind of journey. So they go to all these cities, they start these churches, they come back, they visit the churches again to clean up some messes, and they get back to Antioch. In 26, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had been fulfilled. They went back to the church that sent them out. Verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So they, they came back and said, Let's, let's stay a while. Let's we'll stay a while. And then they, they gathered the church together and they told stories. And they said, This is what happened in Galatia. And this is what we heard was happening in Galatia. And I wrote them a really mean letter. And this is what happened in this city. And this is this person we met who was so dark in their sin and who Christ found and saved. And this is that time we kind of failed here. We tried something it didn't work, and we just kind of had to move on and accept it. And they got the church and they told all these stories about how God had opened up doors, how God had moved and been powerful. I've always said here, my goal is maybe in, in five years, 10 years, 40 years, I mean, whatever it would be, that, that a group of us would get together and would have some food and some drink and laugh together and, and tell stories about what God did. Wasn't it cool how he did that that year? Wasn't it cool how, how he formed us in this way when he did that in my life? When he introduced those people into my community? How great is he? How great is he that he included us on his mission, that we got to participate in that? So I've, I've been pastoring for two and a half years, and I've been very blessed by the two and a half years. And I love what's happened here, and I love what we've been able to do and focus on. Um, and, and simply saying this morning as your pastor um, that we're not... Maintaining's not an option for us. So we're gonna we're gonna pray and we're gonna fast and we're gonna see what God's gonna do. And we're gonna see where He's gonna tell us to go. if nothing else, we we not want to tell him we need you. You're our God. You give us the orders. We follow you. We're a group of people. Some of us are in very different places in life. Some of us are in very different places in our Christian walk. And it doesn't look quite like church in our area looks like. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. But we come together because we've been found by God on a mission who's invited us into that mission. And just like churches throughout history, we're going to take a time over this next month and say, tell us. Tell us where to go. Tell us what to do. We need you. We want you. Then in five years, ten years, forty years, I'll see you again and we'll sit around a table and we'll laugh remember all the funny jokes I told okay not that one but I think it'll all last Uh, we'll we'll praise God for all he's, he's done let's pray together Father I thank you for our time this morning I thank you for what you have done with us and in us and I thank you for what you will do in the future I pray that we'd be obedient to where you would call us I pray that you would bless our time together, that as we pray and fast, you would look at us with pleasure, again with a smile on your face, at your children seeking you uh, and longing to know you more and more. Um, I pray that you would uh, continue to grow us uh, in all ways possible, uh, that we would see more and more and more of you, experience more and more of you, uh, and find our joy in our life and our salvation and our wholeness and our peace. In you and in you alone. We love you. We thank you for the cross. That's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.